you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Man, thanks so much. Okay, today I want to talk to you about uh, sequels. You know, one of those disappointing moments in life is when there's like an incredible movie and then there's a sequel, you know? Like Sandlot, how do you make Sandlot better? You don't, but some people have in their minds, let's make another movie. There's a sequel that's been a pretty popular one in our world, I think we have a picture. Uh, There's this whole movie that some people are talking about. We won't spoil anything for anybody if you haven't seen it, but there's a certain generation in the house who remembers very well the first one. I'm not picking on anybody, okay? Yes, oh, oh, yes, okay. You know, and then there's a bit of a sequel, and this time, the sequel is actually decent. It's actually pretty good, and if, as we come to the scriptures, we're going to be in the book of Acts for like the next 10 months, and what we need to understand about the book of Acts is it's written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so really, Acts is like the second part of Luke. And what Acts is going to do, it's going to kind of trace like a 30-year journey from the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, his ascension into heaven, and kind of like the early days of the church. Like the first few decades that this movement is really getting going. And so Acts chapter 1, we're going to read the first 14 verses today. He writes this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea in Samaria, into the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's day walk from the city. 
And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So sometimes you're like really excited to begin like a new scripture journey. You know, like you have a Bible, maybe you even have a new Bible. Maybe you were like so excited about a new scripture journey that you ordered a new Bible, brand new. Never been written in, never placed a cup on top so there's a ring, like there's like no wear and tear, brand new. Then maybe you even went so far and you bought a journal. And maybe some new pens. You got a blue pen and a green pen and a red pen and a purple pen. And you sit down and you're ready to go. And then you stumble on this word. You're like, I have no idea what that means. I wonder if my tomatoes are ready, right? Like that's sometimes what happens to us. And right away in the book, in my former, like the fifth word in, you're like, um... In my former book, Theophilus. So who's Theophilus? Like, what's going on there? There's really kind of three options. Some people think Theophilus was this Roman official, like this high-ranking person. And what Luke is doing, he's writing a book not just to him, but with him in mind. Like, it's kind of a wink to him. Hey, we've been having some conversations. I know that you're expressing interest in the Jesus way. That's kind of one option. Another option is that he's a high-ranking Drew from Alexandria. And so Luke's kind of writing to him. But a, a third option, and I think probably the most likely, is that he is writing to a group of people. Those who are working out in their lives, what does it actually mean to live alive to God? What does it actually mean to be a recipient of his grace, of his power, of his purpose? And the fifth word in the book is just a reminder that we're people who are loved by God. Theophilus. Theo, this word for God. Philo, this word for love. So do you know today that the thing that God would want to speak over you, the thing that God would want you to know most deeply, before we get into all of the stuff of this book, the starting place for God and his relationship with you is your belovedness. That you're cherished by him that he gets a kick out of you, loves watching you learn, loves watching you grow, loves watching you develop, loves watching you become, never gets bored of watching you do new things. Oh, if we could capture some of that in the church today. If we could come to an understanding of our belovedness before God, not our need to perform, not our need to get it right, not our need to pretend there's, there's no kind of development that needs to happen. 
in my former book, those loved by God. That's how he starts it. Verse 4, he's talking about what's happened. And he kind of rewinds the tape to a moment that Jesus has with the disciples. And he's giving them some instruction. Like, hey, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to do. And so he kind of says, hey, on one occasion, like, like, hey, remember like 17 Tuesdays ago when I was having a conversation with you and, and I told you something? Like, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Uh, can I tell you, I think maybe the most difficult command to be faithful to in all of this book is that. To wait. And I think if, if we could ask God today, like what's he asking you to wait for in your life? Like what are you wrestling with him about in the context of waiting? It's a really difficult command, but it's one that's central to his way. It's one that's central to his church. And it's hard. Our two boys are playing FCA flag football. And this horrific thing happens at the end of every game. It's called the Riverdale parking lot. Yeah. And you have two choices. Should I park on the street and walk with all of the chairs, with the child and the jersey and the water bottles or should I park in the parking lot and then when the game is over, just pray for Jesus to return because it's taking forever? You know, I just think like life with God's like that. That what if the way that he's going to help us most grow up, be formed into his image, is not sending us to a foreign country, although he may do that, what if the way that he's going to form and shape and deepen us most in our life is this command to wait? Is this command to be still before you're launched into something? And then verse 6, man, I love the disciples. You love the disciples in here? They have this question for him. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Like we've been waiting for you to tackle Rome. And so now like you died and we're like, okay, so we're not going to be in charge. We're not going to be elevated. Rome's not going to go home running with its tail between its legs. But now that you've been raised to life, now that you punched back, now that you kicked death in the teeth, now that you pushed back sin and hell and the evil one, like is the plan for you to overtake, like are we back on track? Like did we make it through the road construction zone? And now we're on this path toward burying Rome and elevating Israel. Like is this a time that you're going to restore and I love Jesus, too. I love the disciples, but I love Jesus, too. He just kind of stiff arms that moment. 
and says, hey, when that happens, when I come and I bury every lie, when I come and I put to death every curse, when I bring heaven on earth, you're not going to need an email. You're not going to need a notification. You're not going to need to check your phone to know, is this the time? You know, if you've ever been, something we love doing around Thanksgiving time is we love watching the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. And, you know, you just don't really, if you could imagine yourself being there, shivering. I always watch those people in New York City, and they've been there since 3 a.m., and they're like four hours in, and they're like, maybe this wasn't such a great decision. <laughs> they just look so cold. But then there's this moment the parade starts, and nobody watching this parade is like, well, is this thing, like, is it, has it started yet? It's obvious that it has. And Jesus doesn't want the disciples to get tripped up about the when of things. Because when it happens, when his grace crashes into planet earth, and when he buries all of the lies, all of the evil, you're not going to wonder if this is the time. You're going to know this is the time. But in between the times, but that's what life is, right? How do we live in between the times? How do we operate in between the goalposts for the football people in the house today? Jesus has a job for the disciples. Jesus has a job for those who have given their lives to Jesus. Jesus has a job for all of the beloved ones. And it's this. It's that Jesus would be extended to new regions. It's that the way of Jesus would not stay put. It's that there would be evidence that Jesus has been extended into a new place. Can I take you with me to the moment when a family gets a new jar of peanut butter and you open up the jar of peanut butter and there's evidence that this jar has been opened and that there's been some people who have broken the seal, you don't have to wonder. And sometimes I wonder if in the American church, a way that we could grow up is that there would be evidence that the way of Jesus has been extended into a new region, into a new place, that in the same way there's evidence of all of the knife that swirled and all of the crackers and the sandwiches and all of that. You don't have to wonder. Like, has this thing been opened? It's obvious. And what would it look like for the church of Jesus to take extending his work and his way in his presence to a new region seriously? Would we have some evidence of that? Not just talking about it, 
not just giving lip service to Jesus being extended, but actually putting some feet to that, putting some heart to that, putting some desire for that, because that's how we live in between the times. We don't live in between the times just like waiting for the parade to start, wrapped up in our blanket with our coffee. I wonder when like the Mickey Mouse float's going to come. No, but how we live in between the times is to take seriously the extension of Jesus to a new region. That that's part of what Jesus wants them to understand. There's this great quote by Scott McKnight, Brock's going to put up, New Testament scholar. Talks about, you'll be my witnesses. And I love that he claims them. Like it shows that there's this partnership we're going to have with God. You're going to be my witnesses. What's a witness? He says, Scott McKnight, someone who on the basis of experience verbally testifies to one's own experience and testifies by how one lives, even to the point of death. So a witness is not just someone who speaks. A witness is someone who lives. A witness is someone who works out in their life what they have proclaimed. And so I made this little graph to kind of show this a little bit. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you kind of have this circle in his testimony, in his witnessing to, to who God is. So you see that his words interpret the works that he does. So he heals people. He eats with people you're not supposed to eat with. Like he's going around surprising the religious establishment. And he has also some words. So it's not that he's just going around doing all of these things. Like I have some people who live in my house. And every night after work, I come back to these people. And I do things in the home. We clean and we cook and we play and we have conversation. Can I tell you, they're not going to know that I love them just because I came back. Just because work, it just means work is over and I got to go somewhere. But can I tell you, When I tell them I love you, I think you are so great. I think you're so creative. I think you're so fun. Those words interpret the way that I show up for them. Those words help them interpret the making the sandwiches. And the washing that shirt again, because we want to wear it just one more time. But then there's another part that the stuff, the works, the deeds, the, the way that I show up in the house authenticates the words. So makes the words mean something, like gives the works some teeth. And so I'm not just coming home at night saying, hey, like, I love you. And not having any kind of 
evidence of that love. Do you see how powerful we see this in Jesus? That his words, the stuff that he says, interprets the stuff that he does, and the stuff that he does authenticates, reveals, illustrates, displays his words. This is what it means to be a witness. So we can't just be a witness by speaking. And we can't just be a witness by doing. They need to work together. That words interpret the works and works authenticate the words. So you're going to be my witnesses. Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then at the very end of this story, Jesus is taken up. And I love that. What I love about that is that Jesus does not generate his own ascension. You ever notice that? You ever notice that Jesus doesn't even generate his own resurrection? Have you, have you even noticed that? Why? How do I know that? Because the words are in the passive. He was raised to life. Something raised him. What raised him? We read it in Romans chapter 6. That the spirit of God is a resurrecting spirit. So Jesus is raised into new life, out of death, into life. And then at the end, in his ascension, he's taken up. And I just think that's so amazingly beautiful. That we will not power our lives as witnesses of Jesus Christ. That power is going to come from outside of us. How do I know that? Because it came from God. It was placed on Jesus. And if it was placed on Jesus, invitation church, the promise is it will be placed on you. You will not generate your own faithfulness in your relationship with God. The Spirit is the engine to all of that. It's going to be winter soon. And so in our van, I'm going to carry around this little contraption that you get at Costco so that when your van dies, you can power your van. Everybody needs one. If you're going to drive a car that's more than 10 years old in South Dakota in the winter, that's for free. It's not in the message. It's just out of my heart to you. But can I just tell you, too many of us want to be our own generator. By trying harder, by doing enough, like Jesus isn't enough. Did I show up enough times? Did I do enough good stuff? And I just think he wants to say to us, if you're, if you're not going to generate the ascension of Jesus and you're not going to generate faithfulness in your life with God, so be a witness. Allow the works, the stuff you do, interpret what you say and allow the stuff that you say to give teeth to your words. So I love that first thing that Jesus doesn't generate his own ascension. The next thing that I love is that there's this baton of prophetic power 
that gets passed. So in the scriptures, Moses dies and he passes the baton to this man named Joshua. And then there's another prophet named Elijah and he goes to be with God. So he passes the baton to Elisha and this is happening again. That Jesus ascends, he's taken up into heaven. Why? So that the spirit of God can descend on his people. So it can cover them so it can define them. So this prophetic power, what's amazing about Jesus about his power is not that he has it, but that he gives it away. I want to invite the band up as we close today. Here's the warning in the narrative. And it comes kind of towards the end. It's in verse 11. This is the warning. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Church, I just want you to hear that it's possible to live your life like that. The warnings, don't let your head get caught in the clouds. Like, when is this going to happen? When's this going to happen? Is this the time you're going to bury Rome and elevate Israel? Don't get caught with your head in the clouds. Because the angels promised the disciples, hey, in the same way he was taken up, he's going to return. And he's going to redeem and he's going to restore and he's going to repair all of this stuff. And you're not going to have to wonder if it's the time because it's going to be obvious. Because you're going to have a Mickey Mouse over your head that's more than 10 feet tall, more than 20 feet tall, more than 30 feet tall. So you're going to know, wow, this is the time. You're going to experience that moment when Jesus returns. You're not going to have to ask your best friend, is this the time that has come for Jesus to restore all things? It's just going to be obvious. I don't want to have my head caught in the clouds so that I miss all of the things that God has set before me for me to receive, for me to extend. I don't want to miss it, and I don't want us to miss it. Dallas Willard, I'm going to put that quote up for me, Brock, once wrote this. He's got this amazing book called The Divine Conspiracy. And he writes this. As a disciple of Jesus, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. So just like hang there. Let your spiritual taste buds just like chill for a second. As a disciple of Jesus, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything that he did. That's where a lot of people get caught. Well, it would be impossible for me to live like Jesus. Like the what would Jesus do? That's a silly question. Because of course I'm never going to be able to do the stuff that he did. That's not the question but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. That's what it means to be a witness. 
not to do everything that Jesus did. It's already been done. Thank you, Jesus. It is finished. To tell us, die. But what's not finished is the stuff that he has set before us. So it's not to do all the stuff that Jesus did. It's to do the stuff that we've been called to do in not in the manner of Dave, in the manner of Margaret, in the manner of Samuel. What other names don't we have here this morning? But in the manner of Jesus. To parent in the manner of Jesus, to teach in the manner of Jesus, to show up at work in the manner of Jesus, to engage in the spiritual community in the manner of Jesus with his heart and with his pace and with his values. Not to try to do all the stuff that he did, but to do the stuff in the manner that he did. I don't know if anybody in the house is excited about Acts, but I am. That's just part one. We got like 40 more to go. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful today for your your love and your grace and your kindness and your power and for the way that you're at work in the world and for your invitation on our lives to keep company with you to announce the good news of the kingdom to have your name and your power extended into new regions And Lord God, we do look forward to the day of your return, but we're not getting caught with our heads in the clouds and missing all of the thousand ways you're showing up around us and among us. So God, would you help us to live according to your way, to do what we've been called to do in the manner that you did what you were called to do. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' name, we pray. Okay, I'm going to go outside. i got to get changed. We're going to do some baptisms out there. And we're going to do one more closing song. So Chad, I'm going to kick you out of here. And Matt, I'm going to kick you out of here. They're going to help me. We're going to throw one more five-gallon bucket of boiling water in that water. And then we'll baptize a a couple kiddos. I would invite you to stick around. It's going to be 10 minutes. So if you can handle... 10 minutes before we go eat, I sure would love uh, for you to join us uh, out in the parking lot, not for a fight, but for a baptism. Would you stand? We're going to sing one more together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.